I could not help but find a beautiful story that was actually written by Elizabeth Elliot. Now, I told about Elizabeth Elliot this past week as well, and Elizabeth Elliot, or actually her husband, Jim Elliot, was one of five men that were killed by the Alka Indians in Ecuador in the 50s. And they continued to meet, the, meet with these people even after they had slaughtered the missionaries. And Elizabeth Elliot got a chance to talk with Horatio Spafford's fifth daughter, who was born after the tragedy. They lived in Jerusalem. Uh, Horatio Spafford and his wife had moved there uh, after the, the death of their daughters, and they had another daughter, and she lived there as well. And their daughter, being in her late 90s, Elizabeth Elliot, who had gone through so much herself, had an opportunity to sit down and talk with her about what happened. He said, all the stories that we have heard and knew uh, known that she found a very interesting part of it that she never knew or many people didn't know. And she said that Elizabeth, I mean, that uh, Horatio Spafford's, oh, uh, the, the latter daughter who had, uh, was in her 90s and was sharing the story, said she used to hear her mama talk about the night that the ship went down. And she said the thing that she tried to do is when all the children were drowning was she tried to get to them. And the only thing that she could grasp was her fingertips touched the hem of the gown of one of the children as, as the child went down. And she lived with that, knowing she tried to save her daughters, and her daughters drowned. And, and the thing that amazed me about that is, reading this argument, she said, you know, I have to understand and believe that God has a purpose for all things. And in you know, we talk about that quite often. And we talk about, and I talk, spoke a little bit about this past Sunday, about how God causes all things to work to good for those that love him. And we have ripped that verse screaming out of context so many times, okay? Because God never promised to change the situation that we'll be in. The context of that verse is to draw you closer to Jesus, Okay? And, and something that really spoke to me as I was reading and studying up on this story was the psalm, which that song is really derived from, if you will. And if you have your Bibles again, look at me with Psalm uh, chapter 16, or as we'll say, this is a psalm of David, and actually this psalm was written at a time of turmoil and trial. And listen to what he says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are majestic ones, and whom is all my delight. Now I want to stop right there. He says, preserve me, O God. Even in the midst of situations and trials and tribulations, David knew who he could trust on and depend on. He makes it very clear that his only refuge is in him. I have to believe that even in David's life, as he had seen many things, as he had faced Goliath, as he had faced animals that are wild, as he had faced friends that would turn his back, he knew the only one that he could completely put his trust in was God. And he says this, I have no good besides you. Now you've often heard me say, and I tell people this, that when I die, I don't want anybody to stand behind my casket and say I'm a good man, because I am not a good man. There is no good in me, only Christ that lives in me. Apart from Christ, there is no good. And David knew this, that David is not, that we're not capable of doing good things. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, but we are not good, okay? 
I think it was Paul Washer said that three words that should shake men to their soul is God is good. And we use it all the time so flippantly. God is good. God is good. Why should that shake us to our core? Because we're not. And David knew that. David knew apart from God there was no good in him. No matter what he did, no matter how much he sacrificed, no matter how many things he worked his way toward, that there was no good that he could do in front of God. It's only about God's grace that you are good in his grace and his righteousness and mercy. Because I've said before that sin affects all aspects of our being. And when we stand before God, there's not enough good that we can do to win favor with God. The only thing that we have is our advocate Jesus Christ who took the wrath of God for our sin. And he says, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are majestic ones in whom all is all my delight. In a world that we live in where people complain about church people, I like being around mine. I want to be honest with you. The thing that amazes me the most is those who say, I don't need to be around Christian people. I don't need to fellowship in church. I don't have to have a relationship in the church to have a relationship with Christ. I often say that if you have a relationship with Christ, you'll want to have a relationship with others in church. They are majestic ones in whom I delight. He delights in those who are God's people. Do you delight around the presence of God's people? Do you like being around God's people? Do you like being around the world rather than God's people? You see, I think about that quite often because I want to be honest. I've said this many times, and you you will hear me say that you will not see the word saints written in singular form in the New Testament. It's written plural. We need each other. And I delight in the presence of knowing that I have other born-again believers around me who pray for me, who encourage me, who laugh when I laugh, mourn when I mourn. He says in verse 4, the sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. David knew that life was tough. He knew this life was tough as a believer in God. As a follower of Christ, life is tough. But who else are you going to put your trust in? What did Peter say to Jesus? Do you want to leave too when Jesus asked Peter? Peter said, what? Where are we to go? Because even in the midst of situations, you had the fascinated ones that were fascinated with Christ. You had the ones that were followers of Christ. And he looked at the ones that were followers of Christ. The ones that were fascinated left. The ones that were followers stayed. And he says, do you want to leave too? They knew who their refuge belonged. And in the midst of this, in the sorrows... They knew that regardless of what life may throw at them, there's no other God other than the God that we serve. He said, I shall not pour out drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. There's a lot of people that make a lot of sacrifices in a lot of ways. Some religions still do. Sometimes we think things are for sacrificial. You know, I never will forget, and I don't want to say this flippantly because it got me in trouble one time, but I give this example about where, when we were NAM missionaries in, 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 in Pennsylvania, the, the, the celebration of Lent is very popular, okay? And it's nothing, and don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying this wrong with celebrating Lent. But what I, what I am saying is the, 
the view that they had of it. Now, what was interesting is, you know, right before Lent, you have what's called Fasnacht, okay? They call it, the, 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 the Pennsylvania Dutch or German call it Donut Day. One of my favorite holidays. It was when they would take all the, uh, the, the yeast and flour, whatever, supposedly out of your cabinets, and you bake everything before you go on your 40 days of fasting to represent uh, Jesus' uh, wandering in the wilderness, or in the desert, or wandering, but the uh, uh, fasting in the desert. And they're supposed to give up something. And I never will forget sitting in the canteen, and this guy said, uh, started this conversation with everybody, well, what are you giving up for Lent? Because to them, it was just another check the box. You see what I'm saying? Just another something to do to make sure that I've checked the appropriate box for calling myself a believer. It's kind of interesting, and, and, and I'm sitting here listening to this conversation. Somebody was going to give up Hershey chocolate bars. Uh, somebody was going to give up TV, which that's, that's, that's a good thing. I don't have a problem with that. You know, Maybe we all should every now and then. Uh, certain people are going to give up certain things. And, and some of us are so, you know, trivial. And uh, the person was sitting there, and I think I've shared this with you, said, what do you think we should give up? I said, how about sin? And I didn't mean it to be, to be well, I did. But, but, my point, but my point was, but my point was, God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants obedience. And, and, and that was the point I was trying to make. And, and it was a very interesting conversation. But even we still do it sometimes ourselves, even our Christian walk, that we think if we do something specialized, God, he wants our obedience. It's not about how much you give. It's not how much you, you serve on, on whatever. It's about your heart being right with Jesus Christ. So, it, you know, a lot of times we put our, our hopes and thoughts into a false God or a false application of our God, if you will. Number five, this is where I want to hit it hard. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance, my cup. You support my lot. Okay? The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. David was the youngest child. What was going to be his inheritance? Nothing. What did God say to the priest? You... I mean, I am your inheritance. I am your portion. You see, when you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, remember, they would be divided up into an inheritance of a land. They would be allotted a section of land. The Levites got what? Nothing, material-wise. That's why he had the 10% taken up to support the Levites. Okay? Now, before we get to thinking of that in our minds, marbles start bouncing off the wall. We need to, well, we won't get there yet. Okay? But what I will say is this. They got no material possession. The Lord says, I am your possession. I am your inheritance. And let me put that applicable to all of us. He is our inheritance and he is our portion. We have that because of Christ. It is not materialism that makes us who we are. And I want to really focus on this because I got to thinking about it. Where he says, not only, look that you are my inheritance and my cup, you support my lot. That is a statement of contentment. If you look at the lot, a lot was cast like a die for chance. So if you think about it, most people live life as a chance, or we would call it 
somewhat karma. Some people get what they deserve. Some people don't. We can call it whatever we want to call it, but it's just that everything happens by chance. But what David is saying here, that as believers, us, believers in God, believers in Jesus Christ, that we are not some people that are randomly being placed here by chance. Everything happens because of the hand of the sovereign God. Good and bad. He allows us certain situations. And many people have, and I've been talking to others about this, especially after we've been going through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And we're just in the second chapter, I think sermon five. And, and I get so many questions about, you know, again, and I address this a little bit. Why, why do Christians go through bad times? Why do people go through bad times? Things happen, okay? I mean, none of us are guaranteed any health and wealth. And that's why you hear me really harp on this health, wealth, prosperity gospel. There's no such thing. Christ never promised us to be healthy or wealthy. But we'll be content. What did Paul say? He said, I have learned to be content in all things because I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That is the whole point of that text he says. It's not, and people take that out of context too. I can climb Mount Everest because I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. It's talking about contentment. He knows what it's, not like, he knows what it's like to have and have not. My whole sin that I always say quite often, we, 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 we have come to agreement on this, that Christ is enough. He's enough. And to be content with what we have. And let, let me, let, let's think about this. <clears throat> if he is our lot and, 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 and he is our portion, he is our cup, I think about this, that no matter what we go through, we should be content with the day that we are given. Now, it's not to say that everything's going to go the way we think it should go. But there's a purpose for God's glory and for our own learning that we go through situations. I've often said this statement. I learned uh, a long time ago, and my mama bought me when I got married, life's little instruction book, okay? And I still got it. I mean, it when I got married in 1993... And I still got it, and there's like 50-something or 500-something sayings of, of things that could help your life be better. Now, there again, okay, whatever. But one was in there was very good, that, 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 to be honest with you. If I spend my time worrying over the regrets of yesterday and the problems of tomorrow, then I'll have no day in which to be thankful. And there's truth found in that. Because every one of you have turned right when you should have turned left. One thing Satan loves to do, and like, you know, some people are like archaeologists. They love to dig up the past. We've all made mistakes. We've all had problems. We've all done things we regret. If you have made things right with Christ, move on. One of the, Satan's biggest, biggest obstructions to you is bringing up things that have happened in your mind. Does sin have consequences? Absolutely. Absolutely. But understand this, in the internal scheme, if you have been forgiven, Christ is enough. And if you spend time worrying over yesterday, then you are consumed about what happened, then you can have no day in which to be thankful. Jesus says very clearly, why worry about tomorrow when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount about clothing or food? 
If you focus on the regrets of yesterday, you worry and you struggle and you panic. If you worry about the things of tomorrow, you struggle, you worry, you panic. Then what day do you have to rejoice in him? Think about David, okay? Saul loved him, he hated him. He loved him, he hated him, okay? He wasn't a popular man. Now, David had a lot of great things going for him, but David had his problems too. You think about this. Not only... Did Saul despise David? David cheated with Bathsheba, had a son. Through Bathsheba, that first son what? He died. He had Solomon, okay? David went through a lot of things. David was very bitter at times. And I've often wondered how the Bible could say that David was a man after God's own heart and all the things that he had done. But I come to realize after reading Psalm 139 that David was real, He knew where his inheritance and his cup belonged. I think about this. Even in Psalm 16 that he wrote, he knew he had been that way. He had turned right instead of turning left, and he cried for repentance. God forgive him. Did he have consequences for his sin? Absolutely. But he knew in who take his refuge. Going back again to the the worrying about tomorrow. And if you think about tomorrow, and where Jesus said, yet Solomon in all his glories are not arraigned as a lily in the field, Birds that your heavenly Father feeds? How much more are you? Don't worry about these things. Each day has enough problems of its own. Would you agree with that? Now, the thing about having problems during the day is we're all going to have problems. Okay. Now, that's a loaded statement, but take into consideration that what's bad for me may not be bad for you. Okay. I may get cut off by somebody going up the road and they give me the one finger salute or whatever, say some bad things to me. You might have somebody that you work with that you totally despise. You may have a neighbor that you hate. You shouldn't hate, but I'm just using it for reference. If each one of us can be affected by anything, and God, uh, Satan will use a lot of things to distract us. But what I will tell you, if we could take a moment to think that every day that we've been given is a bonus as a born-again believer. Number one, God didn't have to save us. Number two, we don't have to live. And to be thankful for all that he has done for us. You know, it's funny, but he says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance that I shared just a few moments ago. For the first time in my life, I'm I'm not going to be bivocational full-time. And it makes me nervous. Not because I'm scared of, of, look, I'm an electrician by trade, okay? You know, I'm used to, I was doing something. And, and, And one thing that amazes me is God has always given me sandals in the desert. He'll continue to do so regardless. And what I need is not necessarily what I want. And God has put us where we need to be for a specific reason. And if he is in my support, again, my 401k is not going to save me. It's not going to bail me out. The government's not going to do that. No, it's Blue Cross Blue Shield. God is my ultimate provider. He's yours too. And who do you put your trust in? Because the thing that we must understand is like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, and I I do, I beat these verses over and over and over. He said, everything is vanity under the sun. What does that mean? That anything under the sun is meaningless. And he will tell you in the very last chapter ever, all these chapters of pessimism will say the thing that I've come to conclusion is love God and keep his commandments. Because he knew that everything apart from God was vanity. And I'm really wanting to stress this because you know yourself, think about it, how many of you have ever been depressed? Now, I'm not here to try to motivate you and make you feel good, okay? But look, I mean, bear with me for a minute. We've been de- people have been depressed, right? How many of you get worried? 
Now, I'm going to ask a question. What did any one of those things solve? But did they take time away from something that you could have been doing for God's glory and good? And your good, I'm sorry. Yes. You know, I, I, I think about that because I look at Solomon who had what? Everything. And he said, the eye is never satisfied with seeing and the ear is hearing. He got tired of the world. Why? He was given so much because he asked for wisdom, he couldn't handle the so much that he was given. And he failed. And he had tons of things, but nothing brought him satisfaction. That's the world that we live in. That every single being has a God, every single human being has a God-sized hole that we will try to fill with everything else other than Christ. And you'll never be satisfied. Never. So where is your portion? You're never satisfied to your portion and you look to Christ for it, that he is enough. And I wanted to share that this morning because, again, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, Okay. But I've come to the realizations that each one of us and each time we, have, we need to be encouraged that God's enough. Whether you're going through depression, whether you're going through financial, whether you're going through uh, uh, just, just miserable work, whatever you're going through, I promise you Christ is enough. And, and the one thing that I have learned that if you, well, I don't want to say that, but let me try to reapply this. I have gone through some things that I wouldn't like to have gone through. Okay? We all have. But what if, just what if, we reflected upon those and say, what did God bring me through and what can I learn from it? Have you ever thought of it in that perspective? We've all met the people that they could hit the lottery and say, they're going to take a fifth in taxes. You know, it, it, there's always a complaint about everything. Always a complaint. 33%, excuse me. <laughs> See? No. Um, but honestly, you've met that. There's always, there's always something wrong. Guys, we're going to have problems. In this world, we, you will have trouble. But I will give you my peace. That's what Christ said. He's enough. He is your provider. And he said, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You support my lot. lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar at all? Psalm 91. The one before that, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And listen, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You hear that? Again, we've gone through this study before, depending on how people love to use the pronouns. A lot of people say the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. But it's he. 
It's he and his great mercy and grace. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. What comforts us? His rod, his staff. You prepare me a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. And what? My cup. Absolutely. My cup. Sound familiar? My cup runs over. You know, I sometimes at funerals will read a poem called My Cup. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. If you're not familiar with that, years ago, and I can remember it as a child, that people would drink their coffee with a saucer underneath it. My grandparents did this because it was the proper way, I guess, when people were over to drink your coffee on the furniture. If you wasn't sitting on that piece, it had the plastic over it. Remember that? Uh, and what we would do is we'd sit there, and I, well, I wouldn't, sit there and they'd drink and they'd spill some of the coffee. But what would happen at the end? They drank in from the saucer because their cup has overflowed. And I think that is so cold because the premise is here. And I sit down and I talk to myself and I, and I ask myself this question I'd ask you. If you lost everything that you had today, would you still rejoice in Christ? Now think about that. Would your cup still be overflowing if you lost everything you had? If you didn't have nothing but the clothes on your back and a Flintstone car at best, would you be thankful? Because just as the Lord gives, he can take away. But maybe, just maybe, think about this. That we'll learn total dependence on him. I shared this when I was, and I'll close with this. I, I, when we were, we were uh, first moved to Pennsylvania the first time, it was during the housing market crash. I had was co-pastor in a church with a man in Greenville, and the church had called me, and we was going to the mission field, and you know things had happened, but we couldn't sell our house. And we lived in the basement of a church for nine months. We had two rooms, and I had two boys that were teenagers that always didn't jihad. And and I thought about that. And Tiffany had mentioned this, and I'm not going to go through that whole story. But where we lived was called the Susquehanna Valley. It was in between a mountain, two mountain ranges. And, and we, were, we saw those that went on this trip, you saw it. I mean, it's the mountains on each side. We lived in that valley. There's no TV channels. Antennas don't work. Okay. So we would sit in this basement, and we didn't have but probably eight or ten videos to watch. So we quit watching TV. We didn't have any video games to play. We didn't have any TV to watch. And I'm going to tell you that was some of the greatest time I ever had in my life. Because we grew as a family. We grew closer to Christ. And we leaned on him for everything that we had. And it has taught me this. 
you have a greater appreciation of what God's given you when you truly trust in Him. Vacation's been a little bit different things. Going home to see family this means a little bit meant mean meant a little bit different. And I'm not trying to say I didn't have my moments. Chad's not floating on anything, okay? I'm not no apostle or prophet, okay? But what I will say is this, that once I learned total dependence on Christ, total dependence, total surrender and dependence, there's nothing else I want because he is enough. And I pray that this encourages you some way, shape, form, or fashion. Because God is the one that allots your portion. If you are faithful to him, you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You realize that you're not good enough. But through Christ, you are made clean and great. And as we have studied, studied Hebrews, then one day we're going to reign with him. That's great, ain't it? Even if you're on this earth for 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, wherever it may be, one day we're all going to leave this place. But eternity's forever. But while we're on this earth, as I often say, if we will look at what we have as pilgrims on this earth, that this is our temporary home, rejoice in what God's given us, man, there's something a lot greater beyond the horizon. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we love you, and we, God, we ask that you just use all things again for your glory, for the greater of our good, that we may learn and grow, that we may seek your face, total dependence, you alone are worthy. And it's in your name I pray in the love of the name of Jesus. Amen.